Thanks for listening to Cato Sports. I hope you enjoy the pod. Give it a follow. Share it with your mates. I appreciate the love. This is Cato Sports. Welcome into the pod. It's Cato Sports coming at you live on a Tuesday morning. Big round of footy. It's May 30. Just a just an awesome watching weekend of footy. And I think if you've listened to the podcast, if you've been locked in here and you've been just following the takes as they're coming along and following the analysis, the six upsets by the media, the six, you know, sports betting upsets this weekend weren't really upsets. Every single one of them was just a mismatch that that the other team got uh, the better of because of the way they're set up, the way that their midfield is, the way that their forwards are. I, I thought that really there weren't any upsets. Like Hawks beat the Saints, Suns beat the Dogs, Crows beat the Lions, Frio beats Melbourne, GWS gets the better of Geelong, and, and, and Sydney beat the Blues. No upsets in my eyes. I thought that every team that won was a very good chance to win the game. I would say a higher than 50% chance to win the game going into it because of certain reasons. And I, I want to expand on them. So let's go Hawks Saints to start off with. The Saints have a very uninspiring midfield group. They set up really well behind the ball. They have a really good game plan. They coach really well, but their midfield is very uninspiring. Guys like Brad Crouch, Seb Ross, an underdone Jack Steele, I think he had about 14 touches for the game. Like he was meant to be a a, a premier midfielder and I was never sold on it. I was never sold on it. I loved him as a defensive midfielder lay 10 tackles, 12 tackles, and get me 20 touches. But going into that, oh, he's a premier midfielder that gets 30 and kicks two goals. It never, he never popped like that for me. And he's just, he's just in bad form at the moment. He's not great. And, and, and Rowan Marshall, as great as he is around the ground, going up against someone like Ned Reeves, who's yeah, way taller than him and, and was able to get the better of him in the taps. I mean, Rowan had, Ron Marshall had 17 taps for the game. So he wasn't really the, the impact player at the contest that, that St. Kilda needed. And you look at Hawthorne, you go, well, okay, their midfield's top shelf at the moment. Will Day is an absolute star. Newcomb's rated one of the highest midfielders in the comp. Nash is rated one of the highest midfielders in the comp at the moment. Warple, and then you've got Reese tapping down to him. Hawthorne have got a lot of guys that can't make the team at the moment. Guys like Wingard and CJ and... And um, Joshy Ward, there's there's dudes that can't make the team because this midfield is flying so much. So, you know, Hawthorne dominated the game. They controlled the ball. The discrepancy was that midfield group and and Hawthorne got the better of it and ended up with the W. Suns versus the Dogs. Now, I watched Suns versus Lions last week. They were in the game until three-quarter time. Lions throw a big punch, bang, game over. And good teams can do that. But I didn't think that the Suns played badly. And 
the doggies who'd had a big win against Adelaide the week before, like I said, matchups. The Crows are probably the weakest in their midfield. They don't have much depth there. Dogs are very, very deep in the midfield. They've got a strong group there. They were able to overpower, and it was Bont and McRae and, and Libra and Smith who got a hold of the Crows last week. This week, different story. The Suns' midfield is flying right now. Raul is dominating games of football. He's been able to go from an inside guy that just, you know, lays tackles and gets handballs to working on the outside as well and getting clearances and really starting to impact games of footy. I think Witsy had 51 taps. Now, English only had the 22, and we know he's in around the, the, the grounds, outside guy as well, but they were smashed in the midfield. Noah Ando, Bailey Humphrey starting to come on as well. The Suns are a very dangerous team. And I called it. I said, they're going to make the eight. They've got that type of player group around them. And, you know, it was Ugal Hagen and it was Norton, but they were coming up against Charlie Ballard and Sam Collins who, you know, Ugal Hagen kicked a few goals, but generally kept them quite quiet. And, and, and I didn't see that. I saw the Suns winning that game from the start. Traveling up to Darwin was going to suit them. Sloppier conditions is usually suited to a team that plays in a bit more dew, which the Suns do. Crows beat the Lions as well. Now, uh, Crows at Adelaide over are a different beast. The ground's a bit wider. It gives them more room for their weapons to surge and do their things that they need to do. It gives more room for Tex and Fogarty to move in. I, I, I really think Crows at Adelaide Oval is one of the toughest tasks at the moment. And the Lions had come off a pretty tough game against the Suns. They go to Adelaide Oval. The crowd is going nuts all game. It, they were raring to go. And I, I think both of those two teams are real firepower, throw the biggest punch. And at Adelaide Oval, it is just hard to get the best, you know, get the best punch in against the Crows. They've just got a lot of guys doing a lot of good things. So I didn't see that as a as an upset either. I liked the Crows in that one. Fremantle versus Melbourne. <laughs> Fremantle, they beat Melbourne last year, round 11. Very similar situation. Melbourne came in. They'd had a few easy wins. I think they'd won eight or nine games in a row, but they weren't winning well. They were struggling and winning. But when you've got guys like Petrarca Oliver gone, you've got a good team going, you can get those wins against teams and not play as well as you want to. But Fremantle are flying at the moment. They've opened the game up. They're not being conservative with the ball. They're taking the game on. Their midfield is very dominant. They've got some really good forward pieces at the moment. Amos and Schultz, are, they're just, you know, they've, they've got Fife down there. And although he looks a bit underdone, at least he's giving them some experience and saying, you know, this is where he can move in. You're getting that on-field coaching. Fremantle's backline is rock solid as well. It's one of the more rock solid backlines in the comp at the moment with Pierce and, and Cox, Ryan and, and Hayden Young. That I mean, Hayden Young had a really, really good game on the weekend. And yeah, they're a, they're going to be a very tough team to play all year. Fred, that's why I said they're going to they're going to make a charge for the eight late, and we'll see how they go. Melbourne, look, they lose Oliver. They, you know, they they're good. But they're probably a little – they need to get back to where they were, which is dominating out of the middle. And unfortunately, Luke Jackson got a hold of Grundy and and Gorn. They didn't – it wasn't like Grundy and Gorn dominated the game. After Sean Darcy went down with the hamstring, it was was more like Jackson was just leveling it, if not beating those two. So, you know, Freo flying home as well. GWS beats Geelong as well. Um – GWS's midfield is a lot better than Geelong's on the weekend, and that's the matchup you have to look at. That's why it wasn't an upset. 
when you're looking at guys like Tom Green and Stephen Cornelia and Lockie Whitfield and Lockie Ash going up against Brandon Parfit, Tom Atkins, Blitzarves, who hasn't played much midfield time. It's just they don't have the guys in there at the moment, and that's because, well, their midfield's old and injured. Duncan is old and injured. Dangerfield's over 30. He's injured. Cam Guthrie's over 30. He's injured. It's, you know, maybe everyone was saying last year, oh, the Cats are too old, too slow. Now the Cats are too old not playing. So it's hard to win games when they're those guys who've been the core midfield for a very long time and there hasn't been many opportunities for other guys, they're all out. And it goes, okay, well, now we've got to go to our second stringers and we've got to go to our, you know, younger guys and they just don't have it. So, yeah, I mean, Geelong are in a bit of strife there. Sydney beat the Blues. Now, I would have said probably pre-game, Carlton have the advantage. And that was purely because I said, okay, Sydney are missing their three best backs. Geelong... Carlton have two amazing forwards. They should be able to get a hold of them in this game. And to a degree, they did. But when you kick one goal from 10 opportunities and you use the ball that badly, which we know Carlton used the ball badly. They used the ball badly out of halfback. They used the ball badly out of clearances. They used the ball badly in front of goals. Very hard to win a game of football. Sydney, a lot more efficient as a team. They are able to kick goals. They're not playing very well at the moment. They've got injuries. Their group is still young and trying to deal with that type of thing. But, yeah, I I just – I do worry about the Blues a lot because if you can't convert, you're never going to win a game of football. And that's why Sydney – it isn't shocking that Sydney won because the Blues are just so woeful with the ball in hand. Just – I just – I wanted to mention that because I wanted to mention that, you know, as much as – you know, you might think that these are games that are, oh, this was an upset. In a lot of these circumstances going into the game, the team that won was probably the team that should have won because they had a matchup advantage in the game. I'm going to cover all nine games. I'm going to go into the details. I'm going to talk about the nitty gritty. After this, keep staying tuned. Welcome back to the pod. Nine games to cover. Let's get into it. Sydney versus the Blues, Friday night. And Nick Blakey just showed everyone how it's done. In a, in a back line that doesn't have the dudes behind you, you know that your back line is injured. He was able to, and knowing that you're playing against Cripps and, I mean, Kerno and Mackay, and you're going to need to get back and support and help. You're going to have to get third man up in contest. You're going to have to be reliable down there because, you know, they've got options. They also had Pitto and DeConning playing, and one of those guys was floating into the forward line as well. So it wasn't like Sydney had a lot of options in tools to, to go with them. And Nick Blakey was there every time to support his mates. But the key to Nick Blakey is that he does the team things first. He gets back and supports. He covers his man. He wins his one-on-one contest. And then when they get the ball, he just explodes. He takes off. He goes down the middle of the ground, shortest way home, puts 25 meters on his opponent by foot, and then delivers inside 50. It is just – moving the ball in the AFL is one of the hardest things to do. But when you take off and you run the ball – 35 meters at full pace and then penetrating kick into the forward line. 
you just cut out all that work. You don't need chains of handballs. You don't need you don't need to do that stuff if you've got players who are willing to take the game on and explode like like Nick Blakey does and really change the, the whole game because scoring's tough. But scoring's a whole lot easier if the ball gets inside 50 in in 10 seconds. And it just comes flying from, from your back line to the forward 50 in, in 10 seconds. And that's what Blakey does. He puts the fear of God in defenses because you as a forward, as a halfback flanker, as a as a center half forward, you have to run and chase. Because if you don't, he'll just blow straight past you. You have to be on your game. You have to be checking your opponent. And I don't know, he was just allowed. I don't know if he was allowed to do what he did, but the way he did it, was just like, I don't care what you're doing. I'm going straight down the middle. I'm taking the game on. And it was a beautiful sight to see. I really like Hayden McLean for the for the Swans. I think he's going to be something very special and, and, and different in the next few years. He's he's massive. He's 197 centimeters. He's very hard in, to, to move off the ball in marking contests. I think, you know, they're, they're developing Logan McDonald down there and he looks like a good player. But as soon as they... Get Buddy out of the team. As soon as, I mean, no one's moving Franklin out of the team. But I think Hayden McLean will be the better big option over Logan McDonald. He's just a, a force. And I think because Franklin plays deep at the moment and, you know, that it's hard to to operate. I know Geelong is struggling with this as well with Hawkins. He, he's really, his tank's gone. So he's really playing closer to goal. And it's the same with Buddy. And... But I think when Buddy retires in the next season or two, we'll see Hayden McLean really burst out because he is just a very, very big presence down there. And I, I loved his game on the weekend. Also love Sam Wicks's game for, for Sydney. I think he's one of the guys that kind of didn't make the team in the premiership year and he's got to really fight his way back in. But he had 16 really good touches and he kicked a couple of goals. And I just thought he's a he's a lively type and he should keep his... his uh, <coughs> He should keep his spot in the team um, for the next few weeks because he is playing really good footy. Uh, overall, I mean, Heaney's been playing a little bit better and the Swans have been able to get some wins there. As for Carlton, well, okay. You've got a massive injury list coming out of the game. You don't – Hewitt's injured, Holland's got injured, Kennedy got injured, Cripsy's ankle, chera has been suspended. You've got the Ds next week, which – doesn't look great if, with them coming off a loss. They're going to be fired up and ready to go. The way they move the ball is terrible. They can't hit a target. Their forwards are, don't have enough. They don't have enough responsibility. They don't have enough responsibility on their shoulders to go back and just have shots at goal from set shots. They're going around the corner. They're playing on. They're doing all this random stuff. When you go back and you take 30 seconds off the clock and you have a set shot for goal, what you do for your own confidence is you're doing a very similar thing over and over and you will build, you'll get better at it. You give your time to set up, your team time to set up behind the ball, which is what Carlton needs. They need a bit more time to set up behind the ball. They need a little bit more time to breathe because it takes them so much effort to get the ball to their forwards at the moment because they muck around with it so much that the backs and the mids need a little time to breathe. And just the the way that the forwards go about it, someone needs to go down there and just say, mate, Mackay, you're actually a pretty good drop punt kick of the footy. Kerno, you're an excellent drop punt kick of the footy. 
Don't muck around with this other stuff. Don't get caught up in the moment of the game. You're, you're there to kick goals. So when you mark the ball, go back, take 30 seconds and kick the damn goal. It's just, it's very frustrating. Next game of the week, Hawks-Saints. Touched on it a little bit earlier, but it was really one-way traffic in the midfield. The Saints just not as good in that area and they don't have that many game winners. Uh, I mean, there were opportunities for the Saints, absolutely. Higgins drops a mark when they're 20 points up that would have sealed the game on his chest. Now, we know he broke his finger or dislocated his finger earlier in the game. Still took the set shot, kicked it out in the full. Maybe a little bit selfish. I think if you you busted your finger and you can't hold the footy, probably hand it off to someone else. But <laughs> he took the shot anyway, kicked it out in the full. Then he gets a high ball coming into the 50 and he's thinking, oh, geez, this is going to annihilate my finger that's already been annihilated. Drew pops off his chest. Hawks pick it up. Five goals in a row, Hawks win. Um, oh, James Sicily. So... <clears throat> Let's talk about Sicily for a little bit. In a in a in a team where you have two tall defenders, you can allow that third guy to to zone off and be the I'm going to get third man up to the contest. I'm not going to have a big forward, so I'm not going to have that big responsibility and I'm going to be able to float around on a on a mismatch because I'm going to play on a mid-tier forward, a middle-sized guy. And I should be able to outmark him, outpower him, and then distribute. It's what Tom Stewart's been making a name for himself for the last five years doing. He doesn't have that solid opponent and everyone goes, oh, he's the best back in the league. But he doesn't play on anyone really. He, he plays on scrubs and he outmarks them occasionally. And then I think his ball use is okay. It's not amazing. It, it, it's good, but it's not amazing. Sicily had been playing that second tall role and not being able to do the Tom Stewart things that he'd been out that 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 he probably is more suited to. But we bring James Blank back into the team, and you know the young fella goes and plays on Maxi King for the week, and it's a great learning experience for him. But it frees up Sicily, and he goes completely bananas. Forty-two touches, twenty-two intercept possessions eight intercept marks. He was easily the best player on the ground. He had a massive, massive champion data score. It just, it was, he was dominant. But he was dominant because of the role he played. And that role is a very easy role to, to, to be seen as being dominant. I think, you know, I sometimes worry that people think that that's amazing defense. And it is and it isn't. Because they, their role is really easy. It's be instinctual, see the flight of the ball, don't worry too much about your opponent. You've probably got him covered anyway. So, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes the guys that stand there and go, they're on an island, it's me versus you, I've got you all day, and, and they're able to keep them to, you know, a more drawn scoreline is, is a tough, tough assignment. So I, I don't want to overpraise Sicily. He had an amazing game, but the role that he plays is an easier one to look like you had a dominant game. Also really like Kyle Amon's game. I think he uses the ball amazingly. We knew that when he came to Hawthorne as a club. and He's starting to hit his straps. He really does distribute well for the Hawks. The Hawks don't have any injuries at the moment. It's tough to get into the team. This talk of tanking is just was an absolute 
it was garbage. It was absolute garbage from the start. Sam Mitchell's a very, very calculated, smart individual. He's had success at Hawthorne. He had success at West Coast. He had success at Box Hill. He knows what he's doing. And people in the media that were attacking him, guys like people like Damian Barrett and, and Caroline Wilson, it was just a bit like, you, you guys don't know anything about team building. You don't know anything about, you know, having to build out a, a, a team and and, and 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 structure and getting games into guys. You just don't know anything about that. And you attacked Hawthorne for week on week on week and said how bad we were because in the first two weeks of the season, we lost a couple of games by 50, 60 points. But now you look at it and you go, well, whose list would you rather, Hawthorne's or Carlton? That's a question mark. Whose list would you rather, Richmond or, or Hawthorne? That's a question mark. It, there's now it's 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 big big question marks with building blocks. Hawthorne have got a lot of young players that can't make the team. We got a lot of games into young guys who are going to get infinitely better as as they go. Mitch Lewis hasn't hit his ceiling. Tyler Brockman hasn't hit his ceiling. Newcomb and, and Day definitely haven't hit their ceilings. Like there is so much development to come into this team, and you know it's going to play out for us in the back half of this year for sure. Fremantle versus Melbourne. Uh, well, again, not an upset. Fremantle did this to them last year. They did it to them again this year. Now that they've, you know, they're moving away from the Tabernar and, and the Tracys. I, I know Tracy played in the weekend, but it really is the Jai Amos showdown there. The dude is leads up at the ball well. He's got great hands. He kicks well. He's He's a target. And I think that's an intangible. Sometimes players want to be a target and sometimes players want to lead to the pocket, you know, and, oh, I'll be the decor guy. And that was what Tabitha really was for a long time. And Tracy, you know, he's got two good steps forward and, he, you know, unless he's marking it, uh, you know, in a, a bit of a mismatch because of size, he really isn't marking many balls. But Amos is, and he's he's got a bit more to his game. So, you know, he'll put on a little bit more size, and I think he's going to be an, an excellent player for Fremantle going forward. Uh, touched on this earlier, massive effort by Luke Jackson. I mean, you're going up against Gorn and Grundy. That is the that is the top tier of Ruckman, and that is a no-break scenario. You lose your your partner in Sean Darcy, and it was, okay, we need, we need four quarters of just – pure effort from you, Jackson, and he gave it. And he won a lot of one-on-ones against Gorn and he was able to nullify, you know, any good taps to to Petrarca and Viney throughout the day and he was good on the ground. So just a huge game by him. His post-game interview as well was just, I mean, he's the best interview in footy right now. He's just the most lovable, happy, simple dude. And yeah, Luke Jackson, he's an absolute ripper. Brayshaw and Sarong. That, that combination is absolutely – I've got – combination is fire here. They do that. They just do things that everyone wants out of a midfielder. They run defensively. They win a lot of hard balls. They get out into space. They're the link players. You know, they've got their head over it the whole time. I love those two dudes. And, and I've got here Hayden Young. What a game. He's just so calm, so collected. He never gets knocked off the ball. He's got a beautiful penetrating kick. You know, he's in this group of dudes in the AFL who've got these penetrating kicks. Bailey Dale, Dawson, Jai Newcomb, who, you know, they really just hit the ball and it sizzles. It doesn't go very high off the ground and it goes quickly through the air. So 
yeah, I just uh, I love Hayden Young's game, and I think he is a really good complement to the types of guys they've got down there. They've got Cox and and Pierce and and Ryan who are all you know Cox and Pierce are the bigger guys. They can take those big tall forwards. Ryan's you know a distributed type that can definitely play one on one. But then, you know, Hayden Young gives them a bit of grunt. He gives them a bit of ball winning. He gives them a bit of distribution. So, yeah, I really like how that Fremantle backline is coming together. And it was it was kind of a no-brainer that they won this game. Oliver's out, middle of the season. D's fans don't rock up to games, so there's not much home, home field advantage in the middle of winter when it's cold. Yeah, Fremantle, a lot to like. Uh, let's go to GWS versus Geelong. So, as I said at the start, Duncan, Dangerfield, Holmes, Guthrie, DeConning, all out. We understand that. But Kelly, Taylor, Haynes, Davis, Cumming, Himmelberg, also out for GWS. So, I'm ruling out injuries. I'm not saying, oh, Geelong didn't win because of the injuries. I'm saying you weren't, you're not prepared enough. And you weren't prepared enough for Toby Green and Brent Daniels. They got all over you all game. Those two dudes were just, oh. They were just rock solid. And that we know what Toby Green is. I spoke about it in my in my uh one of my TikToks. Toby Green is the best captain in the league almost. He is just unbelievable. He is one of the most dynamic players in the competition. He's a tough matchup. He finds space where there isn't. Brent Daniels had a tough run with injuries, but he's always been a player. And he kind of, you know, him and Lockie Schultz, I just love these types of guys. They're so tough. They put their head over the ball. They're opportunists. They run, they chase, they tackle. They they really are awesome small forwards. And he really showed it on Saturday afternoon. I've got here, Whitfield was back to his best. Lockie Ash has become a stud. A lot of people probably aren't talking about him, but just keep an eye. Next time you watch JWS play, Lockie Ash is one of their dudes. He's an absolute dirty moves with the ball well, he gets a lot of it, he uses it. Yeah, just a, a solid, solid game from him. As for Geelong, well, with the guys out that they've got here, Duncan Danger, Guthrie, they have no prime ball movers. The only person that touches the ball for their team is Tom Stewart. And like I've said before, I don't rate him as a, as a ball distributor. He's a safe kick of the footy, but he's not a doesn't take. He's not like Sicily that really goes for his kicks. He kicks to, you know, smart places. He kicks to contests. He kicks sideways and lets other people do it because it's not his strength. Except he's the one that seems to touch the ball the most. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But anyway, and and I think that for Geelong this was a bit of a box tick for them at the start of the season. They look at this and go, "Oh, that's a win," but they didn't come prepared. They didn't come ready to rock. They didn't come ready to put their head over the ball and win for four quarters. And yes, it got close late, uh, but they really didn't play very well for the first three quarters of the game. And their next three opponents are the Dogs at Marvel, Port, and Melbourne. So they're all top six teams. The Cats aren't flying. I don't know if they're getting anyone back from injury. Maybe they might get danger back. Uh, hamstring, been out a couple of weeks. Maybe they get danger back for one of the games, but I think it's just going to be a a, sl- a really, really tough run. Like they could lose all those three games. I, I don't think I'll be tipping them in any of those games. So yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough period for Geelong. After the break, going to start covering 
the rest of the games, a lot of good games to cover. So I'll see you after the break. Welcome back in. Got a bunch of good games to cover. So let's get straight into it. Gold Coast versus the Dogs. Jeez, I just love the Suns. I just love what they're doing. I love the their key characters. Oh, man, this matchup, it, it, it matchups are key. That's the first note I've got here. And Gold Coast took it to the Dogs. People think, oh, the Dogs have got this amazing midfield, which they do. But people are underrating the Suns' midfield. Wits 51 taps to English's 22, as I mentioned earlier. Wits also had more disposals than, than English. He had 19 disposals to, to English's 17. So you're getting that production out of Wits around the ground as well as winning the taps by, by 30. It's just a complete and utter dominance. Uh, midfielders kicking goals is, is another one that I've got here. I mean, you look at some other teams and go, geez, they really need to have some more goal kickers through their midfield. Teams like Carlton. I know that uh, Richmond had Taranto kick four, but outside of that, it was really no one that kicked a goal. And, and you look at the, the Suns and you go, okay, well, they got big numbers out of their, their bigs. Lukosius kicked five and he kicked five straight as well. And we know how good of a kick Lukosius is. That's a type of, you know, that's what you want. You want five straight. You don't want one four and one three. Five straight. I love that. King kicked a couple, but Swallow kicked a goal and Rao kicked a goal and Humphrey kicked a goal. I mean, Humphrey kicked the game winner as well. So you're getting goals out of that midfield group and I just such a well-rounded midfield and I love that Rao's inside and Ando bursts out the front of contests and they don't even have Took in the team at the moment. And Humphrey is hell-bent for leather. He is, you know, he's a head-over-the-footy type operator. And when he plays the team that you support, you will realize Bailey Humphrey is coming to town. This draft is looking exceptionally good. And, and, and Humphrey as well, I mean, the only kid we haven't seen is the kid from Essendon, which is Sardis, I think. And now I think the pre- the big pressure's on Essendon to have picked a good dude because we've seen the guys around him have been just absolute rippers. Jinby, Filippo, um, Cam McKenzie for the Hawks, uh, Humphrey as well. So uh, very interesting to see how Sardis goes because Humphrey is just – he's an absolute star. He is in the making, star in the making. Special mention to Nick Holman. He – Sits in the mold of Bo McCreary, and that is he doesn't win, you know, 25 touches a game. He's not the prettiest dude in the world. He'll never get selected for an All-Australian team, which is a a travesty because the All-Australian team is built on the fact that we have a bunch of midfielders in positions that midfielders aren't very good at and uh, the positions where those – Guys that are good at just don't get looked at because they don't do things that are flashy. And Holman laying 10 tackles on the weekend isn't flashy, but it's great for the team. And it's exactly the role that you want. You want his role is pressure. And the things that he does is he puts scoreboard pressure on with his two goals he kicked, and he puts inferred and real pressure on with his tackling prowess. And that's what you want to see from a guy playing the half-forward flank in the AFL. Runs hard all day, creates contests, lays tackles, wins the ball back for your team, 
kicks goals. So Nick Holman, special mention. I think you've been doing it for a while now and you haven't really been someone that anyone talks about. So I just wanted to give you a shout out for that. Uh, as for the dogs, you know, Norton kicks a got one goal too. They probably didn't come to play. I think that the, the, the matchup didn't work for them. Sloppy conditions with Gold Coast are good at. Their midfield was as good as the Dogs' midfield, so it was leveling out there. And I said this for weeks. I love the spine of the Gold Coast Suns, and I'm not in love with the forwards of the Dogs. I think that they just don't take as many opportunities as as they probably should. So Suns get a hold of them in that one. Very interested to see how the Suns go moving forward because I think they are just going to keep winning games of footy. Essendon and West Coast. Essendon are a solid team. I said this last week. They're an honest team. They give good effort. And against a team like West Coast that really doesn't have much going for them, they were always going to they were always going to shine. Few guys I liked. Redmond and Merritt, we know that they're two of their best players. Both had really good games. Love to see it when, you know, when you Merritt moved in as captain. And I think everyone went, oh, he's just a ball-winning midfield. Is he got has he got that kind of, you know, has he got that gusto? Has he got that grunt in him? Has he got that ability to throw people on his back and and do it in big situations? And he's just proved everyone right. Like he just he's just gone, yes, I've got that. Tick, tick, tick. So love what Merritt's doing. Uh, Nick Martin. <laughs> Man, Nick Martin, this is a funny one because Nick Martin played in West Coast's Junior Academy. He was sitting there. He was available. They could have taken him. They decided, no, no, we're not going to draft him. And Dodoro goes, you know, there's this kid actually over in the West who, you know, he didn't get picked up, but geez, he's he's composed and he uses the ball well. And, you know, all right, well, we might go and get him in a supplemental draft. And man, Nick Martin, he's just, composure is his game. He feels like he's played for six years, not not two. Uh, you know, he he's he's just. I, I've got my notes here. Is how is it that a player like this can be so ridiculously good at assimilating into AFL level so quickly when he wasn't fancied as a draft prospect? And and that's just what he's done. He's just wanted another of a bunch of these nineteen-year-old kids that are coming in and having a massive impact. Uh, it's just it, it is kind of fascinating. I mean, younger teams. Or younger younger players are becoming professionals, becoming impactful earlier on in their career. And going back to what Hawthorne did and stripping it down and going, you know what, we're going to play the kids. It's in line with this whole, the kids are getting better. Nick Dacos is a star of the competition. Ashcroft's a star of the competition. Sheasel has 25 touches every week and is dominating. Like these young guys, are, Newcomb is just flying at the moment. He's a top five midfielder by AFL player rating. So, you know, it, having a younger team is, is it's, it's definitely a positive at the moment. And, yeah, just just loved Nick Martin's game on the weekend. And I think West Coast missed a trick there. Langford, just so versatile. He can play back. He can move up around the ground. He can be a hit-up guy. He can be closer to goal. He can kick goals. Very, very versatile. And... Um, yeah, he's in some ripping form as a footy player right now. 
And just a small mention to, to Snelling. He holds his place in the team. He's come in. He wasn't probably best 22 start of the year, but he's kicked another couple of goals. And as competition for spots heats up in Essendon's team as they get better, he's holding on for dear life and playing some really good footy. So well done, uh, Snelling. West Coast, away, big again, huge game. They're starting to get a couple of guys back, so they're not going to get thrashed like they did against Hawthorne. You know, Yo comes back in, Hearn comes back in, Barras comes back in. They look a little bit more, you know, consolidated, but obviously they've still got a lot of lowly characters in the team. Uh, I was positive on on Jaden Hunt. He went out and won the ball. And as a dude with his speed and his tenacity and he, the way he takes the game on, for him to have 35 touches is a really good thing to see. And I just also wanted to look at one one of these West Coast players who are coming through and just give him a positive review. I, I've been looking and trawling through these guys and going, okay, which of these guys might develop into a good player? And I like Connor West. He's got some X factor about him. He didn't convert his opportunities much uh, but he's he's lively. He there's something to work with down with 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 him. His chase down tackle of Hobbs was really just a, a super play, and uh, yeah, I think that there's there's probably something to work with. I really liked his game on the weekend. So you know they might not have the best list in the world. They probably have the worst list in the world. But I did like Connor West. My last little note here for that game was uh, unfortunately I think Tipper is done. He had no impact. He had six touches. He didn't kick a goal. He's probably against. He's probably against their list type as well. You probably rather give that spot to a younger guy. I realize that there's a cultural element there, and he's a, a cult hero of the club, and they love him down at Essendon. So it's hard to him for him to to be moved out of the side. But I do worry that he's probably not. Uh, impacted games in any way, shape, or form at the moment. Tigers versus Port. Bit of a dogfight, this one. Um, you know, Port turned, Port turned the screws late when they needed to to win it. They've won eight in a row now. They really are flying. It's it's coming from their midfield. It's, it's sim- symbolic of Butters' first quarter just deciding I'm going to take you on and I'm going to run as hard as I can for 5, 10, 15 metres, break two tackles and and get the whole movement of the ball going our way. And it was awesome to see. I mean, he's he's just – he's been talked about a lot recently. I spoke about him last week on the podcast. The dude is a star. He was a star from the moment I set eyes on him. He, and, he, you know, everyone's starting to realise it now. Everyone's talking him up. Um. Uh, Alir Alir, he is such an all-Australian type guy. He just sits there and teams have to think, how the hell am I going to move the ball around Alir? Because he plays, he does what, he plays on the second best forward or the first best forward, beats them, and then wins his own footy, intercept marks, sits in the hole and you go, geez, we really need to stop kicking the ball to Aaliyah. We need to start moving the ball around him. And it's just, you know, he's just such a tough customer to play against. And that's why Richmond's, you know, bigger forwards didn't really have a good day because Aaliyah just had him covered all day. Um, <clears throat> Jim Taranto, geez, a very, very solid game. 30-plus touches, four goals. 
we know he's a good goal kicker. It's his field kicking that lets him down sometimes. We know he's a good goal kicker. He did it at GWS. Get him inside 50. He's strong. He's built like Dusty is. You know, he he can beat guys one-on-one. He finds good areas and space. We know he's good at winning the ball. So if, if his modus operandi is, all right, I'm going to move forward after the contest, move forward during play because I know I'm better than the guys around me at winning one-on-ones inside 50. I think that's a great thing for Richmond. And so, yeah, just a really solid game by him. Look, Richmond tried hard. They 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 gave up, you know, not much in the second and third quarters. It was it was really a tight game, and they were able to keep with Port the whole way. I just think in the last quarter there was an explosion by guys like Rosie, Butters, Horn Francis. They were really, really good down the stretch, and, and that's probably what just got Port the win. Uh Collingwood versus North. Good fight by North. Uh, a lot of positives. Larky kicking five goals is a positive. I think he had seven or eight shots on goal as well. So they're getting good use to him. Will Phillips, they need him to be good. They need Will Phillips to be good because they've drafted midfield a lot recently. And if he just ends up being a guy that doesn't make the 22 and it was a top five pick and, you know, didn't really develop and the guys around him in his class have gone on to, to start him, that's what sets you back years as a football club. So he needs to be good, unfortunately. And he was good on the weekend. He had 29 touches. He's getting involved. He's being more involved in the link plays. He's laying tackles. He's just more involved in the game. And that's what they need from him. Uh, and he will be that extra cog. You know, we know that there's going to be Simpkin and we know that there's going to be Wardlaw and we know there's going to be Sheasel. But if Phillips can play midfield, then Sheasel can play a little forward, you know. That it, it gives them a few more options and it can because Sheasel is an absolute forward. Like, don't get you wrong, he played halfback at the start of the season because that's where Clarko wanted to develop him. But he played juniors on in the midfield, moving forward, kicking goals. He is a forward. And I think we'll see that in the next two to three years. Is he'll play he'll play midfield for sure, but they want him around goals kicking him because he's just that. He's got that smarts about him. And for that to happen, guys like Will Phillips need to develop. My notes here are the Pies played well, but we, as Collingwood, you don't want to get complacent. Last year, Melbourne had eight, nine wins on the trot. They looked like they were the best team in the league. They came up against Freer, who were a pretty good team. They got whacked. They lost their mojo. And they, you know, didn't look the same for the rest of the year. I think they lost three or four games in a row after that. And then it was like, oh, hold on. <clears throat> Melbourne might not be as good as we think. The Pies play an electric brand of footy as well. They really do use a lot of the tank to, to move the ball and run in waves and attack teams and fire it at them. So I just hope that they realize it's a marathon. It's 24 regular season weeks into, you know, a finals campaign that can be three or four weeks long. So the pies, you're flying. Make sure you know. I hope they've their list is ready to go for the, the whole time because really everyone wants to see Collingwood in the last game in September or, or, or that first game in October. I'm not sure what it is anymore. But the grand final, everyone wants to see the pies there because they are the – best show in town at the moment. Um, What are my other notes here? I've got JDG. Dugowie's just a star. He had a great game. So did Moore. So did Checkers. Dacos boys always come to play. 
Um, yeah, they have a they have a scheduling lull. That's what I've got here. The Pies play North, and they've got Hawthorne coming up, and they've got West Coast coming up. Few bad teams. Don't let the bad habits seep in. You're playing so well, you don't want to give it up too much. So, there my notes on that game. Brizzy versus the Crows to finish it up for the episode. Look, the Crows are the hardest team to beat at home at the moment. They they really are. It is you're going to have to fight tooth and nail to the bitter end if you're going to beat them like Collingwood had to do. They do not give up much at home. They are just so solid. I loved the game of Lukey Peddler. Dude, this kid isn't he is an old school footballer. He's tough as hell. He flies at every contest. He burrows his head in. He finds spots to kick goals. He doesn't give an inch. He's he's really what footballers feel like, you know, 20 years ago. He's kind of got a bit of Richard Osborne about him. He, that's the type of guy that he reminds me of. And, yeah, I just think they found a winner in him at one end. And at the other end, Michael Laney, I've spoken about it before, but where does this kid's composure come from? The dude is just calm as you like. It's a Sunday stroll for him out there, intercept marking, using the ball well, falling back into the hole. It just, it's awesome. And then at the other end, when the young guys are playing well, but you're still getting production out of Rory Sloan. He's had a, you know, he's been a star of their team for for so long and he's been, the guy that has lifted them through really a tough five to six year period and he's rocked up every week and played as hard as he could and he's still giving it. He wants to give for this team, even though he's not their prime guy. They know they've got Dawson who's had 32 and Laird who's had 27 and just a shout out to Laird because he took one of the best marks of the year. Superman dive out on the wing. It was just, it was awesome. Um you know, to be able to, to go, you know what, I'm going to play the third fiddle and I'm really going to just develop these guys and help them out. I think Rory Sloan's just been awesome for them. We know they've got X Factor everywhere, the Crows. We know, you know, Rochelle is just, he's awesome to watch. He loves it. He loves playing for the Crows. Rankin loves playing for the Crows, you know. And then and then the, the big forwards are around as well, Phil Thorpe, Texas Tech, um, Fogarty looked a little bit more engaged. He'd been he'd fallen out of, you know, Fogarty's. Yeah, I think it's hard when you've got Tex and Thilthorpe and Rankin. There's a lot of players to feed there. So sometimes you can fall a little bit out of favor. And I think Fogarty has a little bit the last couple of weeks, but he just needs to keep going at it. Um, yeah, I mean, as for, the, as for Brizzy, this was going to be a tough game. This was going to be a really tough game from the start. Uh, you know, it was it was a battle. They they lost a little bit of momentum early. Everyone played okay. Dunkley was good. Le, Le, Neil was good. Um, but yeah, I, I just think Adelaide at home is the hardest team to beat at the moment. And uh, just with the mix of plays they've got, they've got dangerous plays. They've got hardball guys. They've got. You know, people who float behind the ball. The, you know, Michael Annie. Butts is a really good one-on-one defender. Murray's a really good one-on-one defender. So, Crows at home, very tough assignment this season. And, yeah, I just didn't think that that was an upset either. I really thought the Crows at home were going to get the better of the Lions. That's the podcast this week. Hope you all enjoyed it. I've thrown some TikToks and stuff out there as well. So, if you're a TikTok fan, jump on. 
watch some of the talks when you're, you know, getting a bit quiet, you know, you're getting a bit sour, the week's getting to the middle. I'll throw some TikToks out there for you. As always, content all produced up by my boy Perm. Uh, all my themes done by Kevin McLeod. Hope to see you on the episode next week. This is Cato Sports. That's a great idea, Cato.